and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends. And welcome back to another edition of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I'm the great Ryan Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as the Tennessee Stud takes us up and down that road, up and down the Smoky Mountains, right into that amphitheater in Chilhowee Park, sharing with us wrestling history. And without any further ado, the man of the hour, the host of the Studcast, the legendary Tennessee Stud himself, the archaeologist, Ron Fuller. Ron, how are you Thank you very much, and I uh, appreciate that recognition of all my archaeological skills. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, Indiana Jones was on TV the other day, and all I could think about was you <laughs> in that outfit with the whip. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he's dressed a lot differently than what I was during those days. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll get into a little bit of that in this one, too. So. Yeah, glad to be here, my man, as usual. Uh, horse is all saddled. Uh, you know, I want to apologize real briefly here. Uh, we I had an equipment failure at my home here. We do my do my own audio equipment out of here, and and uh, we we missed yesterday uh, our regular date of uh, of release. But we are this will be up uh, bright and early tomorrow, uh, which will be on Thursday, uh, September fifth. And, uh, you know, I just apologize to people. Hopefully it won't happen again. And uh, it's the first time we've ever had anything like that happen. And and I thank everybody. I, I sent out a little message and, uh, and got some nice response. And I thank everybody for the nice comments. And uh, just uh, glad to be doing one again today and uh, ready to roll whenever you are, my man. Well, the one good thing about the show being a day late, Ron, was it gave everyone an extra day to listen to the Super Studcast, of course, Super Studcast number 20 out right now, parts one and two. Part one, the Universal Heartthrob, Austin Idol. Part two, Nobody's Heartthrob, Scott Bowden. Listen to it today, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. If you're a Memphis wrestling fan, you got to check out part one and two of Super Studcast number 20. We'll have more information later in the show, including who will be the guest for Super Studcast number 21. But before we get there, Ron, where are we going this week right here on the Studcast? Okay, we're going to be talking about some cards uh, for the week of July 11th, the weekend of the 11th and the 18th of July. We're going to discuss the cards, the TVs that promoted them, the results, and also the payoffs at the end of those weekends. Uh, We're finally going to begin to uncover some American American Indian artifacts uh, under good old Lake Normandy. Uh, the dam is about finished in 1975, and uh, when that lake fills, it's going to cover up centuries of the Indians' history. So we're going to be doing a little bit of digging. Uh, we're also going to discuss more about the $100,000 lawsuit from the Danny Hodge and Dale Lewis encounter with that unruly fan uh, way back uh, four months about prior to the time frame we're in right now. Uh, we got a lot going on in this one, and uh, just uh, ready to roll with her. In fact, I'll just take off if you don't mind, my man. No, go uh, right ahead, Ron. All right. Uh, let's begin today's studcast with a brief reminder. For those that may not have heard last week's very popular episode, by the way, of what happened on Friday, July 4th, 1975, the 14-man battle royal night, $5,000 to the winner. And uh, then I'm going to announce the card for Friday, July 11th. 
1975, and pieced together how that battle royal and the video that I used on the TV the day after the battle royal promoted that July the 11th card. Last week's episode, spent a great deal of time describing the big July 4th battle royal, and as I said last week, I recorded the entire battle royal, and I'm glad I did. It was a classic. I did so for three reasons. The first reason was after the fantastic, unexpected match between Jimmy Golden and Rock Hunter before the Battle Royal even started, I had a feeling the Battle Royal itself was going to be special that night. The crowd was just ready for it. The second reason, I believe a picture's worth a thousand words, and the video of that match was entirely self-explanatory and could be used very effectively several times on the TV show the next day. And that's exactly what I do. And the last reason is it was a great tool for me to show one of the biggest crowds, the biggest one yet, Chilhowee Park for Southeastern Wrestling. And it's a couple of shots in that video that I wanted to get on the screen for people at home to be able to see. Uh, the Battle Royal, well, like I said, it was a great one. It just came together, man, basically. Uh, and uh, many things happened in that battle royal, but mostly before the battle royal that made the night so fantastic. The third match of the night, Jimmy Golden and Rock Hunter, they go to the ring having never worked with each other and just had a barn burner of a wrestling match. Uh, you know, and Brian, it's funny uh, how that happens on occasion without planning it. You just seem to gel sometimes as a pair. And uh, which is which is very unusual. And it was the first time and especially if it's the first time you ever worked with somebody. And that was one of those rare occasions. I'd not planned to bring them back against each other the following Friday, in fact. But when the fireworks happened between them, their first time in the ring together, I changed not only the Battle Royal finish that night, but one of the main events for the July 11th event as well. I split up the team of the Assassin and I from the July 4th card and put us into single matches, and that developed from this battle royal. The three top matches for that Friday, July 11th card came directly from that battle royal of July 4th, and I never tended to make it happen that way. You know, booking matches and angles is based kind of upon instincts, and sometimes matches you don't expect to get over big do and surprise even the booker when that happens. The Golden Hunter match was one of those, and following my instincts, I made instant changes to every match that followed theirs, including that tremendous battle royal that turned out to be something special. Uh, let's talk real, real, go ahead and talk about that card on Friday, July 11th, 1975. The opening match is in Chilhowee Park. The opening match is Tony Costello versus Andrew Douglas. Second match was scheduled to be Don Wright and Mr. Wrestling versus the Outlaws, Cowboy Parker and Ken Dillinger. Uh, Don Wright would, got injured during the week and, and uh, had to be substituted. Somebody's going to replace him, and we're going to give that results a little bit later on in the program. The third match was Ron Wright versus me. Fourth match was Jimmy Golden and Rock Hunter, the one I was talking about. And uh, and then a first-ever wrestling brass knucks match. Uh, that's what they're having on this card. And the last match of that night is a best two out of three falls with Tommy Siegler against the Assassin. Now, everyone on the card, they, they, there was a tremendous little group there. And, uh, you know, let's see how the TV on Saturday, the day after that 4th of July battle royal, uh, developed to promote that July 11th show. As I said earlier, the recording of that great battle royal the night before in Knoxville was the vehicle that we would ride into the July 11th card. Uh, I would show it in four different places on that television show and allow both the heels and the baby faces the opportunity to talk over it. TV opened up with Rock Hunter, head tape from the bloody match the night before, fist tapes in preparation for the upcoming Brass Knucks match with Jimmy Golden. Hunter's in that first match, he knocks out a guy named Rick Connors, who did a lot, of, a lot of matches for me in Knoxville. Pretty darn good wrestler, but certainly not a scrapper like uh, Rock Hunter was. And Connors got carried out of the ring after the match. He didn't walk out. He got carried out. The assassin escorted Hunter to the ring, stood in his corner. And I had, I had to start developing another heel team because my new heel team with the outlaws well just weren't going to make it there. Uh, they, they weren't good enough. They were actually going to be there for another three weeks after this event. And the following week, 
uh, actually on the night of the 11th, I'm going to give him a notice, a two-week notice. Uh, after his hunter's match, both he and Assassin went to the set with Les Thatcher to watch the end of the battle royal from the night before. They had a very good reason to be upset, too, by the outcome of the battle royal, and the recording at the end of the royal clearly showed why. The two of them were obviously the last two heels in the ring, with and the only guy, the baby face, the only one left, and he was bleeding and injured, was Jimmy Golden. And uh, camera caught shots of Tommy Siegler, who had been eliminated already by the assassin, walking around the outside of the ring after being thrown out of the Royal. Uh, he didn't leave the ringside like he should have, but he was there encouraging Jimmy to fight on, to, to stay in there and keep at it. Don't let him get him. Now, the assassin and Hunter focused on that while they're watching the video, and the fact that they were about to win the 5000 prize when they had Golden up in the air and they were about to throw him over the top rope and the referee got bumped out of the ring. Then they described the action and Siegler came in the ring illegally after being eliminated. He sneaked up behind him and he sent the assassin over the top rope and almost threw him over on top rope on top of the referee that had, that had fallen out on the floor. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, the referee saw assassin come over the rope, land on the floor. He, he says, you're out. Uh, even though, uh, he wouldn't. They, he was illegally eliminated, kind of in a way. Uh, so they're both furious on this TV taping here, and uh, the tape showed very clearly. Tommy Sigler, he's a lead, lured uh, the only heel left in the ring. Then Rock Hunter over to where he was, and Golden finally gets to his feet, just barely able to walk, and drop kicks Rock Hunter in the back. Rock Hunter goes over onto the floor, and Jimmy Golden wins it. Sasson finished the segment by emphasizing the fact the huge mistake Siegler had made by throwing him out of the battle roar illegally and how that was going to cost Siegler big time in their two out of three fall match the following Friday. He then boasted, too, about Rock Hunter's accomplishments in Texas as the longest-running Brass Knucks champion in Texas history, and that got a flurry of boos from the TV audience. Uh, they're both going to be back later in that show for a two-minute interview about their singles matches for the following Friday night. Okay, Ron, so you lose Ricky Gibson on almost no notice because he's going home to help his sick mother. And you bring in Tommy Siegler. Right away, he's being put in a top position. He's in a great spot here. It's not the easiest thing, I would imagine, to get a brand new babyface over to the point where they could be a top guy. A heel, I would think, would be a lot easier. Is it easier to get a heel over? And secondly, to this point, how did Tommy Siegler get over when you gave him this opportunity? Well, the answer to the question is, yes, it's easier for a heel to get over uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, uh, and in Tommy Sigler's case, he was a great baby face, a good looking guy, had a nice body, uh, had, had some pretty good rap uh, during interviews. Uh, he was able to get over pretty well and pretty easily. Uh, but that, those heels, when you're a heel, you can show your personality. As a baby face, you have to be kind of careful about how you talk sometimes and and uh, with a heel, it's fun to be a heel. You can say anything you want, and, and you know, you want to make people mad. It's easier to make them mad than it is to make them happy. And, uh, you know, so I kind of like that heel part of it for that very reason. Uh, the second segment of the match of that TV is a single match with Ron Wright against a new guy named Andrew Douglas. Ron got the TV audience fired up with a big comeback, as he always did, and then he pins Douglas, and then he goes to the set to sit with Les Thatcher uh, and watch a small piece of that same battle royal that showed he and I fighting all over the ringside area after we had eliminated each other from the battle royal. Uh, and that was a good piece of video because we really did. We fought all over the area around the ringside and ended up back fighting him into the dressing room door. And, uh, you know, it, uh, he brought up the fact that he had not wrestled me in a singles match for more than two months, which was true. Because, and he said, because I was afraid of him, which is natural. And he couldn't wait to put one of them good old Tennessee dog whoopings on him. And, uh, you know, so... I couldn't wait to get my chance to say something back about it. You know, so I waited for the interview, but, uh, you know, I always enjoyed Ron Wright, man. And I liked his interviews. I liked his action in the ring. He was a fabulous personality in wrestling. Uh, and speaking of the personality, that's what's next. The personality profile. And this week, particular week, it's with Jimmy Golden. And he shows up with his tape, his head taped up from being uh, busted the night before and his fist tapes, too, because he's in the Brass Nooks match the next Friday night against Rock Hunter. 
So uh, Les didn't begin with the match, though, but 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 as was the case with all personality profiles, he focused on Jimmy Golden's history before coming to Southeastern. Me and Les talked about it for a long time. We didn't want those five-minute personality profile segments to turn out to be interviews. And uh, Golden did watch toward the end of the five minutes a brief part of the Battle Royal again. It's the third time that Battle Royal has been viewed in the program to this point, but it's a different piece of it. And his piece is going to show him and Rock Hunter as, as they went to the ring to get in the battle royal and Hunter attacked him outside the ring, they fought all around the ring and actually took a bump off of this concrete platform where the ring and the ringside are set into this big pit, probably six-foot drop onto the concrete in front of the huge general admission grandstand. Uh, I wanted to use that piece because it was a... It was shot from high above the, the entire amphitheater. And the general admission grandstand just had a great view. And it, and it showed the crowd. And it was a big crowd that night. These awesome crowd shots were very important, in my opinion, to help grow the company. When fans saw them sitting at home uh, while they're sitting in their couch and they watch all this action and they see those big crowds, it makes them want to become a part of that action and, and see for themselves what it's like to actually be there. Uh, so Les and I got what we wanted and retained the integrity of the, uh, the personality profile, and we squeezed a little bit of an interview out of Jimmy Golden about his match that he's going to have with Rock Hunter uh, for this Brass Nooks. The third segment started with Tommy Sigler getting a win over Rocky Smith. And we're talking about Tommy getting over. He'd been, he's had a bunch of wins on TV. That's how you get a guy there. And uh, he's going to do it in something else in this show that's going to be a nice little touch, too. Uh, then after the commercial break and during that third interview segment, Sigler and Golden then comes out, sits down with him, and they talk about their upcoming singles match the next Friday night of July 11th. Uh, then the last segment features the assassin, and he's, and he's escorted by Rock Hunter, just like he escorted Rock Hunter in the first one uh, against DeVoy Brunson. The assassin manhandled Brunson, obviously, and could have pinned him several times, but he did the old pull-up. He pulled him up at least two or three times and uh, didn't allow the referee to count him out. The referee got very angry about it, and Rock Hunter jumped up on the apron to draw the ref, and the assassin picks poor old Brunson up and throws him over the top rope, and the referee never sees it. And then when the referee goes over and starts to count him out on the floor, uh, the assassin then lures the referee away from it, and Hunter sneaks over there with his tape fist, and he has the opportunity, and he does knock out his second wrestler of the day with his fist tape. Uh, so, uh, and then he slides back where he was standing. So when the referee turns around, it just looks like Brunson's still laying there. But uh, you know, he's already been tapped pretty good by Hunter. Uh, the ref counted out Brunson and raised the assassin's hand in victory. There was a big back slapping, slapping celebration going on in the ring with between him and Hunter to end the match. The assassin and Rock Hunter and all three interviewed. That's me as well at the end of the show and bragged about how we were going to eliminate the three stars, all of them, in one night, uh, and that's going to be next Friday. I had a good feeling uh, that the video of the Battle Royal that put about 4,000 in the park on July 4th and shown four times now in this show was going to put another pretty good crowd in there on July 11th, 1975. Ron, in general, were you a fan of using the tape fist as a gimmick? No. Uh, you know, it was a it was a gimmick of uh, Rock Hunters, and he had used that legitimately in a few territories he'd been in. And uh, I think uh, Jody Hamilton, the assassin, you know, told me he said, you know, you need to you need to give Rock Hunter a little shot here and uh, give him a couple of uh, brass knucks match to try to get him over. So you know, I took his opinion. Uh, because I felt like the guy did a little wrestling too. If he had been just a brawler, I, I probably wouldn't have been, I would have hesitated, but he, he was a pretty decent wrestler when he wanted to wrestle and he was darn good in those type of matches. So it's about time to find out uh, in Knoxville uh, about what happened on those uh, Friday, July 11th matches. Uh, Andrew Douglas, he won that his first Southeastern match against Tony Costello Uh it was a pretty good match. In fact, I was surprised at, at Douglas's talent. Uh, I didn't know he was that good a worker. Second match was the New Hill team, the Outlaws, Cowboy Parker and Ken Dillinger. 
And I was pretty disappointed with those guys. They were against Don Wright and Mr. Wrestling. Uh, and I was not familiar. Uh, I was, they were supposed to be with Don Wright, but I wasn't familiar with this Mr. Wrestling. Uh, and quite honestly, I don't even remember who he was, but uh, I do know that he was recommended to me by Jerry Jarrett. And Jerry's a pretty good judge of talent. So I gave the guy a shot. And uh, unfortunately, that same night, Don Wright was hurt. And he could not wrestle that night. So Les Thatcher's there because he's doing the commentary for the program. He's like the good old-time professional wrestlers that used to show up if they weren't booked and had their bag in the car. And it was one of those nights where I needed him. And I said, Les, would you take Don Wright's place and wrestle with this Mr. Wrestling against the outlaws, Parker and Dillinger? And Les was really nice, and, uh, and he, took it, he took his place. The match was a very good one, too, and it went a 30-minute draw. They couldn't beat each other, and the crowd really got into it. And I decided that after watching the match some, that I'm going to return that match the following week on July 18th, and I made plans right then to work an angle on TV the next day that's going to give that match some impact. The third match was Ron Wright versus yours truly, uh, and I'd worked not worked with Wright in more than two months, just like he had said earlier in the show, this pairing oddly had something to do with what happened in the battle royal from the Friday before as well, after uh, uh, Ron Wright had already watched it and talked about it. And as I said earlier, Rock Hunter and Jimmy Golden single match on the fourth affected every match after it and set this match up between Wright and I. There was another thought that was now developing in my head that might give me an edge in the potential trial for this $100,000 lawsuit. I'm really beginning to think about possibly turning myself babyface at some time fairly soon in the future. Uh, I won that particular match against Ron Wright by DQ. How many wrestlers do you think that happened to, that there was some kind of legal case or something where they got in trouble and they turned babyface all of a sudden to help, like, in the <laughs> local area, you know, ease everything? I don't know for sure, but gosh, it, you know, it made sense to me. You know, I thought about it and I had an attorney and he was a wrestling fan and that he was, he was actually thought about it maybe before me. He said, you know, Ron, it, it'd be better for you if you, if they liked you, you know? So, so I, I'm, I'm beginning to have thoughts about it and we're going to get to that point here pretty soon. And in, in the next few stud casts, the fourth match on that July 11th card was Jimmy Golden and rock hunter. And uh, this was the first ever Southeastern Wrestling Brass Knucks match. Uh, that match allowed both guys to tape their fists. Falls didn't count. Kind of like a Texas death match. 30-second break between and the winner uh, or the loser. You had a 10 count. If you did not get to your feet after that 30-second break, you lost the match. And uh, in essence, basically the loser had to be knocked out just about. So Rock Hunter was the brawler type and perfect for these brass knuck matches. He and Jimmy had set the foundation for this whole match with that great single that they had on July 4th. And even more so after they came to get into the battle royal and they started bleeding and fighting out there in front of the general mission area. Uh, they didn't get into the battle royal until there was only five people in the ring. So, you know, they really spent most of the battle royal fighting each other all over that park, all over that amphitheater. The match was a bloody one that night. Uh, this obviously is Brass Knucks match. And uh, the match ended with Golden on the concrete outside the ring and counted out to 10 by the referee, in other words, and then the, the bell was rung. He got his 30-second rest period, and uh, it's about the time the end of the rest period is over, Golden's appearing to get be able to get to his feet on the outside of the ring, and the referee starts the 10 count after the 30-second rest period, and Hunter waves to the assassin. You can see it in the film, that, and he, he, he motions him to come to the ring. Hunter stops the referee's count, grabs him from behind, takes him away from Golden, and the assassin runs down there and pile drives Jimmy Golden on the concrete and then disappears back in the dressing room before the referee ever sees him. The ref turns around, Golden's still down, and he just counts him out to 10. He never regains his feet. The referee awarded the first ever Southeastern Brass Knucks match to Rock Hunter. Ron, if I could ask you a question here. I know on the other side of the state, the pile driver was the most deadly maneuver you can use. You did a pile driver, you're automatically disqualified, and the guy you did it to would definitely have to sell it, maybe even get stretchered out, because that's the way you get a hold over. What was it like in East Tennessee, and whenever you were a promoter, Ron, did you think the pile driver should be treated that way? Did you like to use it more frequently? 
What did you think of the pile driver? I never banned it, but uh, I, I I always made sure guys sold it. I always thought the pile driver was just a fabulous move, and uh, it would really get get guys over. It would get tremendous heat. It was one of those moves that people just hated to see it happen when a heel would do it to a baby face. And uh, I always thought that that was a good move, uh, but I never went as far as to ban it because I felt like you could use it. Uh, it was effective, and uh, you wanted to get heat. Uh, that's what drew crowds was was heat. You had to have hot heels. And uh, it was always a great move. This is a perfect example of a pile driver. Uh, the referee's back is turned. The guy's about to get up and, and continue in the match, and the assassin just grabs him and sticks his head between his legs, and bam, he dri pile drives him right there on the concrete and sneaks out and gets away with it. Uh, so it got fantastic heat, the finish, because of the it took the assassin to get involved and the way he got involved by doing the pile driver, even gave him even more heat. The last match on that Friday, July 11th card, was the Assassin versus Tommy Siegler in the two out of three falls match that had also developed from what happened at the end of the Battle Royal on July 4th, the week before. Jimmy Golden returned this time, though. He returns the pain inflicted upon him earlier by the Assassin in the third fall. Uh, Siegler, they swap falls. Uh, Siegler's in the third fall, gives the Assassin a shot, uh, throws him out onto the concrete, drew the referee away, just exactly as the same as uh, Hunter had done uh, when Jimmy Golden was in the ring. This time, uh, they they swapped the deal. So uh, Siegler draws the referee, and uh, Golden picks up a chair the back of ringside and comes straight down, and I mean nails the assassin over top of the head of it, over top of over in his head, and uh, the assassin goes down. And uh, then he gets counted out, same as Golden had been counted out in the match before. And Tommy Seeger gets awarded the match to obviously the delight of the fans. And Seeger and Assassin, now they're off and running for me in a program that's going to last on into the fall of 1975. These guys are going to be married for a while, and they're going to have great matches pretty much every night. What else did you do that weekend, Ron? Were you doing another three day weekend? No, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't run any towns that weekend because I had so many things going on at that time. Uh, my life was just seemed to be full of everything, a lot of stuff happening. And it takes time to set those spot shows up. And I don't want to run them and not do well in them. So I, I wait until the proper time to be able to do it. Uh, the Knoxville crowd for, and that Knoxville crowd, though, for the 11th was about 3,500 fans. It was down about 500 fans from the big night, July 4th, with the Battle Royal. Uh, so let's make the payoffs for that night while we're talking about this. The gross house was about 10,500. 28% of that gross was around 3,000. There was 12 guys and a referee, now counting me on that card. And I wasn't taking it, still wasn't taking a payoff. So there was, uh, that really helped uh, the pay to be split among all those guys, and it made the pay a little bit better for everybody. The underneath boys like Costello and Andrew Douglas, uh, Cowboy Parker, Ken Dillinger, the Mr. Wrestling, and the referee got about 140, less stature. I think I paid 200. And the top guys, Ron Wright, Jimmy Golden, Rock Hunters, Tommy Siegler, and the Assassin, all got 300. So not a bad payoff for one night's work. Uh, and it would have obviously been better had I run two more towns. But uh, I'm preparing for, for archaeology at this point. You know, and uh, I'm just, uh, uh, my focus isn't really on wrestling and I'm not doing exactly what I should be doing. I should have had a three-day weekend, but uh, guys come out of it being pretty happy with just the one night. That's a good place to take a break. We will return in just a moment. We'll go back to the three-day weekends for the next week in Knoxville. But first, a word about the Super Studcast. Of course, Super Studcast number 20 out now. Parts one and two with Austin Idol and Scott Bowden. Super Studcast number 21 is about to come at you. Let's find out who's going to be Ron's guest on that edition. The Universal Heartthrob, Austin Idol, has captivated Super Studcast patrons like he did all wrestling fans around the world. Super Studcast number 20 follows a lifetime friendship as the stud dives deep into the remarkable and, at times, tragic career of one of the all-time greats at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. This is yet another record breaker in what has become a fantastic series of three-hour podcasts for only $2.99 that leave fans 
fans worldwide wanting more. And speaking of wanting more, I'm happy to announce that the next Super Studcast number 21 will be released on Tuesday, September 10th. This one takes the stud back to his Southeastern wrestling discovery in 1980 of a young star called Eddie Boulder, who was close friends of another current Southeastern wrestler that would become Hulk Hogan. Eddie Boulder would go on to huge WWE fame as Brutus the Barber Beefcake and haircuts would never be the same. All over the world at TNStud.com or Patreon.com slash Studcast. Just when you think he can't top himself, the stud never disappoints. There you hear it, the big news, the next Super Studcast, Super Studcast number 21, a dizzying edition of the Super Studcast as Ron reunites with someone who got their start in Southeastern Wrestling as Eddie Boulder and would go on to become the notorious Brutus the Barber Beefcake in the WWE. That's right. Brutus Beefcake will be Ron's guest, or maybe I should say Eddie Boulder. That's who he was in Southeastern on the next Super Stud cast available on Tuesday, September 10th, patreon.com slash studcast or tnstud.com. We'll have more information about that later in the show. But jump on this now. This will be a memorable one. Ron, let's get back to where we were. We talked about the week of July 11th, or actually the show of July 11th in Knoxville, July 11th, 75. What about the next week, July 18th? Well, I need to tell you and the fans, uh, before we get to that July 18th weekend, which is going to be a three-day weekend, uh, that I'm going to miss my first ever Southeastern matches the weekend of July 18th. Uh, there's a special meeting of everyone that's involved in the archaeological dig that's set for late Friday afternoon, July 18th. I'm not able to get back to Knoxville on time. It's going to cost me the Thursday night town. I won't be able to go there too. So I'm going to miss Thursday night spot show and my first ever Friday night card in Knoxville. Uh, so, uh, it's my first time to sacrifice my company for the benefit of my ex-wife, and uh, and, it, and it's not going to be the last. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do it on other occasions as well. And and what I do to get these the match handled, I turn things over basically to Jody Hamilton, who is a gosh, been around for many many years, has a tremendous mind, uh, great great ability in the ring and outside the ring. And I depend on Jody to handle that Thursday and Friday night for me. And I'm going to come back home on Saturday night and be there for the Saturday night town. So the weekend of July 18th, uh, 75, is going to be another three-day weekend for Southeastern. We're going to return to that Middlesbrough, Kentucky National Guard Army on Thursday, the 17th of July. And we're going to go back to Morristown on Saturday, the 19th of July. Uh, again, I booked the same card in both of the two cities, Dean Ball versus Rick Connors, Les Thatcher versus Greg Peterson, great little worker, uh, Rock Hunter versus Tommy Siegler, and The Assassin, and Rocky Smith. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really, really good card, and Rocky is going to work that night, actually. Uh, Rock Hunter's working with Tommy Siegler and the assassin and Rocky Smith. And Rocky's going to wear his Inferno outfit. So he, we've got two big mask guys there uh, against Ron and Don Wright in the main event. Obviously, I'm not on that card Thursday night because I'm digging artifacts in Manchester, Tennessee. But I'm on the Marstown card on Saturday, and I'm going to team up with the assassin. Rocky Smith's going to be off that night. And I guess you probably noticed, or fans may have noticed, Jimmy Golden is not on either of these cards because he asked me for a couple of days off. He'd been there for 20 weeks. He had really gotten over. He'd been working hard. He's doing a lot of shows for Jarrett during the course of this time, and I felt like he deserved days off, obviously. Uh, Middlesbrough, Kentucky, drew at about 700 fans for a gross of about 2,000, total payoff of about 600. Not a very big payoff, but guys were happy to get the money and not be off. Uh, the bottom guys, Dean Ball, Rick Connors, Greg Peterson, and the ref got 40. The remaining seven top guys got about 70 bucks. In Marstown on the Saturday card, uh, we drew about a thousand fans. Pretty good, held up pretty well compared to the last time we were there. About a three thousand gross and a nine hundred payoff. And the bottom four guys got seventy five, and the top guys got a hundred. So you know they made a little money out of those two shows. And let's go right ahead and talk one two here about the uh, the weekend show 
of July 18th in Knoxville and Chilai Park in the old amphitheater. Weather was good, thank goodness. Uh, first match, we'll give you the card, was DeVoy Brunson versus Frank Morrell, who was trained by Ron Wright. Second match was Tony Peters versus Jimmy Golden. Third was the Outlaws, Cowboy Parker and Ken Dillinger in a return match versus Mr. Wrestling and DeVoy Brunson. Uh, but Brunson's going to be replaced by Les Thatcher before the TV is, sh is over that's going to be playing uh, on Saturday prior to this event. The fourth match is going to be Rock Hunter versus Ron Wright, and the main event is going to be Tommy Sigler and the Assassin, and there's going to be a special referee that night uh, because of what happened on the 11th, and it's going to be Jimmy Golden. So the TV on Saturday, July 12th, opens with the new guy, Mr. Russing versus Tony Costello. Uh, thankfully, this guy's a pretty good worker and is a pretty good match. I was really concerned about the first match being with the type of talent that I, I expected these boys were, but they, they did not disappoint me, and uh, they had a pretty decent first match. After Mr. Russing beat Costello, the Outlaws came to the set with Les Thatcher. And they, they had, uh, because it, they wrestled now on the 11th, uh, Don Wright was hurt. Les Thatcher took his place. So these guys had had to wrestle Les Thatcher, bear in mind, on the Friday before. So when they came to the set, they started on Les immediately, bringing up the fact that he had substituted for some jerk that got scared, I think the way they put it last night against them. And why? Why did you do it? You know, why them? And why did you get into our match? And, uh, and, and then they said something like, if, if you're just a commentator, you must, uh, you must have something in for them. Or you don't like them. Then they started complaining. They complained that they had not been on TV like they should have been because of you, Les. And they accused him of being in charge of what was on the entire show and biased against him. Boy, they were really getting to him. Les apologized. He was really trying to be nice. He apologized for, for their feelings and truthfully said he had no part in deciding who was going to wrestle or be on TV, which he didn't. That was always my decision. They called him a liar right there. And uh, you could see the anger in old Les's eyes. He's like, now, wait a minute. You could see they were going a little too far. And that really got things started between them. Uh, they got even more upset, and they called him a coward for hiding behind the commentator's desk and being afraid to get in the ring with them again. Uh, so Les kept his cool, and he said he had not intended to wrestle the night before against them, but his good friend Don Wright had been injured, and the promoters asked him to wrestle, and he was doing a favor for the promoters. He's really making all these excuses. He's trying to be nice to these guys. And then they finally both, they, they see they're not going to get him really badly, and then they both stand up, and they get right in his face. Uh, so they challenge him to find himself a partner. And they said, why don't you get yourself a partner and prove that you're a real wrestler and take us on again next Friday night. There was a draw last time. Take us on again. So it was about, I thought, man, you know, something's going to happen. Oh, Les is going to slap one of them or something's going to happen here. Uh, but uh, it's about to go down. And then suddenly Mr. Wrestling, he comes right on the set, stands right side by side with Les. The outlaws back off a little bit. And Les asked the Mr. Wrestling, he asked him, he says, uh, and he's already scheduled to wrestle these two guys the following Friday anyway. He's scheduled to wrestle. And Les says, would you consider a different partner for your tag match next Friday? And Mr. Wrestling says, absolutely. The studio crowd popped. Uh, Les threw it to a commercial break as the outlaws stormed off. When the show returned two minutes later, Les and Mr. Wrestling were sitting there ready to announce the new card that had just been changed by the Southeastern promoters, and Les would be Mr. Wrestling's partner against these same outlaws on Friday, July 18th. Les made a great interview about trying his best to be unbiased, uh, but being called a liar and a coward back-to-back -back was certainly reason enough to get out of his suit and into his wrestling gear. Uh, great line. Fans had made him a star in Knoxville, he said, over the years, and he planned on proving he deserved to come to come next Friday night, and he deserved to, to wrestle. Uh, and then at the end of the interview, he locked hands with Mr. Wrestling, and he finished with the line, we're going to find out next Friday night who the real outlaws are. So uh, it was a good little segment. Uh, the outlaws would be only in Southeastern for two more weeks, 
it just made perfect sense to get somebody over before they left. And what person better to get over than your television commentator, especially if he's a wrestler. So the studio audience loved it. Uh, a match that would have probably pretty much been a meaningless match as originally booked became one now that's going to draw a little money in the next Friday night. And it's going to leave my commentator a bigger star than ever. Uh, and so to me, this show's off to a pretty darn good start. I'm really happy to see what's happening here. How did the outlaws take it when you gave them notice? Because they just got there. Obviously they didn't make you happy, but they just got there. They were planning on staying, I would think for a little while. How did they take it when you gave notice? Yeah, you know, they weren't happy about it, but you know, I got to say, Brian, these guys, uh, they weren't good. I mean, and, and I got a feeling they'd, they'd had several notices. It wasn't new to them. You know, they, they and I don't think they were really, uh, it shocked them because they probably could tell by the way they were being booked uh, that they weren't going to be there very long. So, you know, and, and as time goes by, once I get to Southeastern uh, and we move down to Pensacola in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Bob Armstrong is going to help me with booking. And uh, that's going to be Bob's job. <laughs> I hated to do it. I did not. In fact, I, that bothered me that night when I gave him the gave him the notice. It kind of bothered me a little bit. And I kind of said to myself, I'm going to get myself in a position someday where I can have somebody else do the dirty work. <laughs> and I used to do that with Bob. I'd say, Bob, just so you got to give so-and-so a notice tonight. <laughs> Bob would kind of go, oh, Ron, you know, and I go, hey, well, you know, uh, you, you got to do it, Bob. So, you know, Bob and I, we usually kind of we felt bad about it, uh, but it was part of wrestling. Guys didn't really, if you're going to, if you're going to take it personally, you're in the wrong sport. You, you don't need to be a wrestler. If you're, if you're going to, somebody's going to tell you, I can't use you anymore. It just is part of the business. And, uh, and guys learned to take it not personally. It was much, much better if you only did, if you did it that way. So the second TV segment begins with Rock Hunter getting a win over Dean Ball. Then both Hunter and the assassin, they go to the set and they watch the ending of Hunter's match uh, from the night before with Jimmy Golan and uh, where he had won the match with the assassin's help. Obviously, you know, uh, talk about help. Uh, you pile drive somebody on their head and rush back to the dressing room. You've more than helped. You, you've won the match for you, whoever. So both he and Golden were bleeding after this long brass knucks match. And when the, the recorded match got to where... Golden was on the outside of the ring after getting counted out of 10. And then the 30-second break, and Satchin sneaks up on him when Hunter draws the referee away. Les drew attention to the fact that the assassin was coming down to the ringside. And the assassin started laughing, and he says something like, uh, I came down simply to help Golden back in the ring. I want to do the kid a favor. The video about that point is clearly showing him he's piledriving Jimmy while he's saying, I came to help him. You know, and then... Uh, so uh, Les says to him, uh, Mr. Assassin, uh, that was a pile driver on the concrete and certainly not an effort on your part to help Mr. Golan. The assassin responded, did I not get hold of him and raise him from the concrete? Then as the wimp slumped forward, I was unable to catch him until his head was down around my knees. And then I put his head between my legs. And when I was finally able to help him up again, he happened to be upside down. And I sat down with him in my hands uh, and on his head, on his poor little head. And uh, that was in no way a pile driver, he says. I accidentally dropped him on his head trying to help him. So the studio crowd, obviously, they booed like crazy. And, uh, and Hunter and the assassin, they had a huge laugh about it. So this is Les's spot again. He, Les then finally gets him to stop laughing, and then he's very calm, and he says, uh, Mr. Assassin, he says, uh, do you know who you're arresting next Friday? And the assassin answers. He says, yes, Tommy Siegler. He said, I saw the entire card on the Vitaphon back in the dressing room after the first commercial break. Why? You know, and Les says, well, the Southeastern promoters also saw what fans witnessed here a few minutes ago that you piledrived a helpless man on the concrete in a match that you should not have even been involved in. They told me earlier in the day that I should inform you when you came out here today that there will be a special referee for your match with Tommy Siegler next Friday night. The assassin takes his time. 
he's calm. It's his, it's his demeanor, you know, and he, he bends down over less and he says very calmly right into his face. He goes, I don't give a damn who it is. And, uh, then he looks at Rock Hunter and starts laughing and Hunter and him both have a big hysterical laugh. Let's, let's him finish. You know, he, he play, he works it really good. He lets them finish their laugh. Everything calms down. And he says, uh, I'm glad to hear that, sir, because the special referee is the same wrestler you just dropped on his head, Jimmy Golden. Oh boy. They go crazy. Oh, Jill. No, 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 no. They start screaming and Les just throws it to break. He, he doesn't let them, uh, he doesn't let them get after him. He just uh, shoots it off to break and gets out of it. After the commercial break, Les is joined by both Tommy Sigler and Jimmy Golan. They complimented the Southeastern promoters for their decision to make Golan the special referee for Sigler in the Assassin's match. And uh, that's because of what the Assassin obviously had done to Jimmy. The studio audience loved it. And both guys made great interviews about the next Friday night's card. You know, and I, Brian, I always felt like it made sense to pat the promoters on the back every once in a while. The decisions by the so-called promoters on this show made the fans happy, along with allowing Les to participate in the tag match for the next Friday night. And uh, since no one for four years, for the next four years, is going to know who the Southeastern promoters really are, I like to throw fans a bone every now and then and let the promoters get the credit whenever possible for something good. You never thought about using a a name, though, just like in Mid-South, Bill Watts said Charlie Lay was the president. And various other promotions had fictitious presidents or presidents that weren't even in the territory. You had no thought about doing that, so you would say the president of Southeastern or the commissioner of Southeastern and have a name there that you could apply to it? Well, we did it uh, in Pensacola. Once we went south, we did it. We did it with Don Curtis. Uh, and, uh, and I end up doing it a little bit later with, uh, Southeastern out of Knoxville because it doesn't make sense to have promoters and you don't have a name. And I did it with an old timer who had been a promoter in the Northeast, uh, part of Tennessee, uh, was well known in that area from Knoxville North into Virginia. His name was Mickey Barnes. He was an old time promoter and, uh, kind of made Mickey Barnes the, the uh, actual promoter and I let him stand up and uh, and do whatever he needed to be done. I really didn't think that the promoter made a difference in the crowd. You know, I, I didn't I did not give him that type of importance. Uh, but whenever I had the opportunity, I did what I did here on this show. I, I gave him a little bone to the to whoever the promoters were supposed to be. And I felt like that that really made the fans appreciate and feel like that they are going to get kind of what they want to see every once in a while. Personality profile on this show is going to be Ron Wright. Uh, Lest asked Ron Wright some great questions about Ron's life before the ring and what he does now. The fact that he has a normal job like everybody else in an airplane. And he covered several different topics. They discussed how many times Les had to deal with Ron Wright as a competitor over the years. And maybe his chisel, too. I didn't, I didn't, I was wondering if you're going to bring up the chisel here, man. Cause, uh, you know, I'm sure Les probably had a taste of that chisel, too. And uh, Ron finished the interview up with how Siegler and Goglin really weren't going to have to worry too much about Rock Hunter interfering in Siegler's match uh, the next Friday night because he was wrestling against uh, Rock Hunter. And he says, you don't have to worry about that, gentlemen. I'm going to take care of him, and you guys will have your way in that match with the assassin. Uh, Third segment, Tommy Siegler getting a rousing win over Rocky Smith with the Outlaws getting their chance finally to come and talk in the, after the two-minute commercial break. And they did a pretty darn good interview, but it wasn't good enough to keep me from <laughs> giving them the notice. I still had to let them go. Uh, you know, they just they just didn't fit for me. And uh, I didn't want to try to build somebody at this point that I really didn't have confidence in. The last segment on the show was the assassin's turn to be just that, an assassin. Uh, he demolished a job boy in, in less than three minutes, and he made a real point to Tommy Siegler by using Siegler's finish, the sleeper hole, to win the match. And, uh, and, and then he got the most heat that he could have possibly gotten after he put the kid to sleep. He, wouldn't, he refused to wake him up, and he left him laying in the ring. 
So Les is the commentator, and there he lays the boy in the ring, and Les is Les is asking for help. He, he says, hey, surely somebody out of the dressing room back there can come out here and help him. And obviously the right guy to do it was old Tommy Sigler himself. He comes out, he wakes the kid up, uh, he helps him back to the back to the dressing room and uh got a tremendous ovation from the crowd what a nice guy last interview was the assassin and rock hunters time to shine they'd been cut off by less at the end of the second segment of the show and when they arrived at the set for this last interview they insisted that less leave the set entirely before they would even say a word they said you've got to go or we're not going to talk and Les, you know, he he, he kind of shook his head and he didn't like it, but he left. And uh, when he finally stepped aside, Hunter did his fiery and loud interview, as usual. And the assassin boy did one of those old cold and calculating interviews, man, about it's going to be bad for somebody come Friday night. And this, it was so that this, the assassin finished that interview with such a such a flair that the studio was just silent. I mean, they were almost stunned by how, how just how pointed he was about what went on. Ron, what actually happened on that show? What are the results for the card that was held July 18th, 1975 in Knoxville? Uh, Frank Morrell won the first match. Uh, the guy trained by Ron Wright. The Jimmy Golden beat Tony Peters. The Outlaws beat Mr. Wrestling in the tag match. Uh, Rock Hunter beat Ron Wright. And Tommy Sigler won over the assassin. Uh, it was a pretty darn good night, a good night of matches, to be quite honest with you. And uh, uh, it probably was, at least that's what I was told. I wasn't able to see it, but uh, uh, Jody Hamilton thought that uh, that it was it was a very good night. Good night of matches. Was it a good night for pay for the wrestlers? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, without even being on the card, the crowd was almost the same as the week before. I was happy with that. Uh, uh, let's break down the Knoxville payoffs. We already talked about the other two spot shows that ran and, uh, and, uh, that Knoxville uh, drew about 3,500 fans again, same as before, about a 10,000, a little over 10,000 gross house. Uh, 28% of that was about 3000 and that, that range, uh, the bottom guys got about 130, the two middle card guys got about 150 and, uh, the top guys got about 290, just under 300. And for those go, guys that worked all three shows, the bottom guys probably made two forty-five for the three shows. The top guys about four hundred and sixty dollars, which is not bad for nineteen seventy-five. And uh, when I had the opportunity to really look at the payoffs over the last three weeks, I realized that the boys made a little more work in the three shows, uh, just very little more on the July weekend, July 18 weekend than they made just working that one show on July 4th. So part of that was because I was not on any of those three shows. I had felt that had a little bit of effect on the July 18th weekend. And my payoff wasn't split between everyone as it had been before. If I'd have been on that card, they would all made a little more money. So this made me question running three towns the same weekend. If I was going to have to miss those towns, certainly if I was going to have to miss them, if I was going to be there, it would, it made sense because my, my payoffs would be split uh, every night. Uh, and it didn't make sense for me to continue that process maybe every weekend. I started to really consider how often I want to do these three-day weekends. Yeah, and we're we're probably getting close to, to close to the end here. I want to I want to I want to dig some. By golly, it's time to come to be, put on the archaeologist hat, and uh, and uh, I'm going to begin digging or scraping, as I'm going to call it. You don't actually dig; you just scrape the ground. And on Monday, July seventh of nineteen seventy five. Uh, I get started. Uh, we work on the University of Tennessee, chosen sites for those Indian camps that would be covered with water when the dam for Lake Normandy was finished. Uh, they had handpicked these sites where they felt like the Indians had probably camped. My ex-wife and I worked side by side on our separate 20-foot square plots assigned to us. Everybody had their own plot. You're going to spend the entire uh, rest of the summer just with that one plot. Uh, and because you're scraping, it's going to take a while to get down to where you start running into stuff. But uh, that's the way it worked. 
And uh, I had no, there was me with no knowledge of what the hell I was doing. Uh, I was the first, uh, the first of more than 25 people to find anything. <laughs> and uh, and I got a couple of airheads. I was the first one to get a couple of airheads. I got some small pottery pottery shards and uh, and that was in the first week. So uh, second week ends up on Friday the 17th of uh of July and and we're having to miss I mean, that's the weekend I missed the two matches uh because I'm on that Friday I'm at the dig and they have this meeting so it begins to seem like to everybody that I'm going to have the hot plot I guess is a good way of putting it uh the rest of the summer and hot is the perfect word Brian I can tell you that because you can imagine this type of work it's on your hands and knees with your face inches from the dirt no air circulating around you when you're that close to the ground. Uh, and to me, that made this archaeological endeavor excruciatingly painful. I mean, it was unbearably hot. And I was like, wow, what do you people do? How do you do this, you know? So uh, knowing the reason I was there, though, while missing the operation of my own towns and my own business and the significant loss of income as well, uh, it made me start to question uh, my commitment to my marriage. <laughs> so, wait a minute. I haven't made anything this week, you know, and I've been down all week under my hands and knees and they're digging in the dirt. And, uh, you know, there's got to be a better way. You know, I hate to put it that way, but I, I don't know no other way to say it. You know, I was really then thinking about, wow, I'm not so sure now that uh, this is worth it. So, uh, you know, basically, at the end of today's studcast, uh, just a brief discussion of the $100,000 lawsuit. I ended the last studcast with thoughts that both my attorney and I mentioned a little bit earlier had potentially uh, talked about me turning babyface to help me save money on the losses that I might incur if this thing goes to trial. Uh, sounds kind of strange, but if you think about it, if I lost $100,000 in this lawsuit, that would be equivalent to two-thirds of the entire amount I was going to pay for Southeastern Wrestling. Uh, I had no idea how much, if any, I could save by turning babyface. But to a young man like me that had made very little, if, if anything, for the entire week of July 18th, it started to make some sense. Uh, so much sense that I'm going to reveal the beginning of the end of my heel run on the next studcast. Well, we will end this episode on that beautiful tease for next week's episode, Ron. But want to remind the listeners on Facebook, the page, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud. All you have to do is like that page and follow the Tennessee Stud, and automatically you are friends with a wrestling legend. Of course, you can follow the Stud on Twitter and Instagram at Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. And you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast for classic wrestling talk and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. We mentioned it earlier, Super Studcast number 20 out now with Austin Idol and Scott Bowden breaking records and the news broke. Super Studcast number 21 released on Tuesday, September 10th with a Southeastern Discovery, Eddie Boulder who would go on to become Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Let's see if the Tennessee stud does any strutting and cutting on the next episode of the Super Studcast, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Ron, where are we going right here on the Studcast next week? Well, we're going to be digging. And, and I mean that literally, more archaeologically. More, a little more archaeology in, uh, in next week's program. We're going to update that $100,000 lawsuit. We're going to be introducing the first steel cage and mustache shaving match in southeastern history. Both going to take place on the 25th of July, 1975. Uh, we're going to take part in a huge benefit for Ed Wolf the guy in the last studcast who lost his leg. Uh, there's a big benefit. Wrestlers are going to come from all over to, uh, to wrestle for free, and I'm one that's going to go there as well. Uh, we're going to discover the reason behind my brother Robert's first appearance in Knoxville since the third Coliseum show on April 27, 1975, and we're going to create the angle that changes everything in Knoxville and Southeastern Wrestling.
Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller, I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.